0: All right, so Frank, we're we're in Revelation. We're moving now to uh, verse ten through thirteen. We're gonna of chapter eight. So we're gonna finish up chapter eight. It's gonna take us a little bit uh, to get through that. All right. God bless you. Even though we know you're not expelling demons and all that when you sneeze, we we've, we've progressed a long way since those days. All right. So go ahead, Frank reading from the niv version Mm.
1: the third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the star is wormwood a third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the moon was struck A third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels.
0: Right. Man. So today we're, we're just going to dig into the futurist uh, position and partly because kind of at this point, I mean, do you guys feel like up, do you think that the futurist position has offered a whole lot up to this point as we so. as we've read Revelation? Do you? I think so. Yeah. Anybody else? No, You're the only one, Frank. No, I'm just kidding. Well, the reason I ask that question is because it's really the uh, explanatory power of futurism really starts coming out now. More than, not that it hasn't, you know, offered up explanations and what have you up to this point, but really... You know, you began to taste some of it when you got to the Four Horsemen, okay? But it's really, if you go out and you read and you go out and you look at all the stuff that's out there, and especially now with the abundance of of things that are there, really from this point forward, we're about to get into the meat of what, you know, futurism really centers around the most. The things, the teachings, all the things that you're going to see the most in-depth discussion about. All of the uh, prophesying and trying to connect the dots with current events and all the things that are just in real time and, and our time and place uh, that futurists and, and prophecy teachers and what have you are all looking at. I mean, we're, we're getting into it now. And the next, you know, several chapters between here and, and getting up to the millennial reign is where really the meat of, of their discussion focuses.
1: And it goes back to what angel told John, the things
0: which are, the things uh, were, which are, and about to take place. And about place. to take place. Yeah, so That's right. That's right. <coughs> and we're going to take another side trip here really soon. Uh, Where well, we're going to dig into that a little more in depth, okay? Uh, and I know we've already done a little bit of that, but we're going to take we're going to take a little side trip that I think is going to get really interesting, okay? But uh, so right here, the the things that are going to take place. Mm-hmm. This is kind of that spot, you know. I know that I've said in the past, and I've had a couple of people ask me afterwards about. Chapter four being the spot where Futurism says this is where the church is is raptured. Although it's really difficult to read chapter four and go, where does where do you see that? Yeah. You know, where how how do you point? And they all, every one of them, every futurist, every dispensationalist says chapter four is where the church is raptured. I mean It's hard, I'm sure there's a few who deviate from that, but the super majority of them, that's where it happens. And it's hard to read chapter four and even figure out how do you get that? Where does that come from?
2: That would be something worth mentioning if if that was in the revelation of John.
0: Yeah, you would think it would be, there'd be something more significant in there other than, you know, people standing before the throne, right? That that, because they're, you know, well, this gets into a whole nother thing, but to be you know to be absent from the body, right? Scripture is very clear that the moment you die as a believer, where are you? In the you're, of the Lord. you're you're in the presence of the Lord, and there are believers, you know, for the past two thousand years, and those before the coming of Christ from from the Old Testament, who are. With the Lord, so and, and that number is probably I don't think any of us could count it. So for there to be and then you add in the angels, right? The heavenly beings you add you add them to that whole count. I would think right now there's a mass of you know a, an innumerable number that are right there right now. So it's hard to look at for and and figure out where's that coming from? How do you how do you say that with such you know, confidence. Uh, And so right there is kind of that first place where you begin to taste some of what futurism is saying and then the, the second is really you know, when you start getting to the four horsemen and all of that good thing. But I, you know, again, that was very generic. The language and what have you and I think that's hard to get around the language of the four horsemen it was very very generic in in nature i mean you can see how that applies to all kinds of things throughout history you know so i, I have trouble there a little bit but right here now we're, we're getting into some really specific things that this this is really where futurism kind of begins to shine if you want to if you want to look at you know just look at futurism uh, so here we have this great star falling from heaven. It's on fire. you know. It impacts all the fresh water. And then we have this great diminishing with the, the fourth trumpet of these heavenly lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Well, that's pretty significant. But here's a question I want you to, to be thinking about is, you know, we just saw a burning mountain that fell into the sea. Now we see a burning star that's falling on the fresh water. Is it significant? Is that contrast or that comparison between those two things, does that have significance in its meaning? I mean, what, was, what do we know in apocalyptic literature and elsewhere already in the Old Testament that a, that a mountain stands for? stands for kingdoms, kingdoms, a, a nation state or a kingdom. Well, what would be a nation state to us today, right? Or a kingdom in a specific area. And we know from Old Testament and elsewhere that this language, that mountain being on fire, tells you judgment has come against that kingdom and it's falling. We know this is true. We know that we need to interpret Scripture from Scripture, right? So once we know those things and we go read them elsewhere, it begins to kind of change. It's harder for me. Not that it couldn't happen, right? I mean, obviously there are massive meteors. There's even one called Wormwood, right? There's one that they've, they've named it. Mm-hmm. That one's Wormwood. Okay. But one can absolutely hit the planet. We know that's happened before, right? And it's happened, I mean, that, that's very feasible. It's probably still happening. Yeah, it's probably still happening. It is, just, you know, but this massive mountain that everybody sees, that scientists tell us what, if something like that hits the planet, that's an extinction-level event, right, according to them. So we already know, if you go down this road, right, we already know they're wrong because <laughs> the Bible says they're wrong, right? There's going to be lots of people. Only a third of the people are going to get are, you know, wiped out from that event. So it's not an extinction-level event in that sense. But anyway, so be thinking about that. So what does a star mean? What, what, do, what is the sun and the moon? And we've already seen, right, this cosmic language is used symbolically throughout the Old Testament, the same language we're seeing here. Why would we interpret it any differently?
2: Is there a parallelism when you talk about a great star falling? And diminishing the lights of heavens by a third, does that not call back to the falling of a third of the angels going with Satan? Man,
0: hold on to that thought. No, that's exact, and yes. And, And just to go down that road a little
2: bit, when did that happen? Before the creation of man. Did it? Well, it's hard to say. Yeah.
0: It, it really is, and, and I want to say it like that, because that's, that's a normal viewpoint of uh, most most folks. If you, You'd have to go back to that supernatural class we did for a year, and we read, what did Jesus say?
2: About the fall? Mm-hmm. Well he said that all the angels rejoiced when, when earth was created. Yeah. And then I he did I'm talk.
0: making y'all think a little bit. Because okay. you gotta make these you gotta you gotta pull this info up, you gotta think about it. When Jesus was here, he said he saw Satan fall. Mm-hmm. Right? So we know that this isn't a future event. Satan doesn't fall in the future because Jesus said in the past tense that he saw Satan fall. Right? So if we know that's true, that's just one aspect of what he said. The second aspect, and we'll get into it when we get a, little, a few more chapters up, okay? But a second aspect is when did Jesus say that he saw that happen? Okay, so just log that in your brain. Okay, so it was past tense. He saw when it happened and he said he was here. Jesus himself said he was here to do something. And that he did it when he was here. Okay. So these are little, make these little notes in your mind around that topic, because we're going to get there. So if we get to that point, you're going to quickly come to this place where wait a minute, futurism is saying this is a future event. It's future to us. It's in the last days except there's an immediate problem with that position, okay? And then we have the third, so a third of the stars. We know we're going to see the dragon that's going to do what with his tail? He's going to take a third of the stars out with him, right? We're going to see that language has already played out. And we're going to go to Scripture, and we're going to see where that language has already played itself out. So, Frank, with what we started with, what did you say was at the beginning of Revelation? What did John say he was shown? What was, what is, and what's about to come?
2: So we still in the recapping stage? Man, that's a wonderful question. I mean, if he's going to tell you the whole story from beginning to end, basically, maybe he's still telling you the, the part that has already happened before he gets into what's going to happen.
0: Could be, right? Could he be that he's, that he's interlacing. So there is parallel with, with what's taken place in the past. And you got to remember, we've got to keep bringing this up because how do we know where? I mean, <laughs> if you follow purely futurism, it's a very systematic one thing after the other, sequential Everything order. Fits Everything fits nice and perfectly, right? Except we've already seen <laughs> that's not the case. There's overlapping. There's changes of, per, uh, of perspective when you're looking at the same event, but you're looking at it from a different perspective. Two particular perspectives are there's a difference from how we're seeing it here and how it's playing out and we understand it. And then how it's perceived or viewed from heaven, from God and from the angels and what's going on right so i mean that's just two different perspectives right there
2: well because they're outside of time they're They're
0: outside outside of time right no absolutely i mean can you see how this stuff can get super confusing (laughs) larry's like oh yeah (laughs) me too there's times man i'm going through all this stuff and i'm like wait a minute i got to put this piece i got to figure out where that piece is falling you know and it's a it's a rabbit hole I mean, you can, you can, you'll be doing this the rest of your life if you're interested in prophecy and revelation. But that's where the blessing comes from. You grow and it makes you think and you're praying and you're seeking out God and you're looking at other brothers and sisters who are doing the same thing and, and praying through and God's speaking to you. Yeah. Right? And so to me, part of that gives weight. If not all of this can be future, if some of this is, you may, at this point, we may be recapping some ground we've already tread but from a different perspective and seeing more depth, and then maybe here a few chapters away we're going to go backwards maybe we're going to go and see an event that took place prior to john writing the revelation and then how it ties and he's he may be tying it to some other specific events That we're going to take place future to him, but not future to us. Okay, And by the way, this is commonplace in apocalyptic literature and prophecy. So remember, we can't forget the genre that's being written. Revelation is apocalyptic literature. It has all the hallmarks of other apocalyptic literature at the time that it was written. It's a specific genre. Well, then you've got to understand how that genre gets put together to understand what was being said and done.
1: Was then it begs the question in my mind: Was the Book of Revelation that John wrote
0: the first apocalyptic style of literature, or did it exist no, before? No, no. There was apocalyptic literature from the Old Testament. Okay. Yeah, that goes back into the third right. and fourth century BC. Yeah. So it's an established genre or style of writing that was understood. But then we got to go deeper, right? we got to say, how does a first century Jewish person receiving this apocalypse from John, how are they understanding what's said? Well, they're immediately going to go, there's going to be imagery and, and styles within that that they immediately know what it is because they've already read these things and there's a certain meaning to it to them in that time
1: and let's not forget there were seven churches that this letter went to that's right and each church may see it in a different light yeah. a different perspective well, it's also possible that that was a yes. paradigm for them they their mm. framework was
0: possibly mistaken based on what they assumed to be the or, case. or what if their framework what if their paradigm is now shifting What if it's? What if a massive change is about to take place in their time? Mm-hmm. We don't think about that.
2: One well, think interpretation too, timing-wise. If you're <clears throat> thinking about it as, as being that person who's a uh, first-century Jew, and you have this this information that is coming from a place beyond your understanding, and you're you're being told what to write. But it's, not necessarily all making sense in in our linear fashion, so if you think about like Chuck Mister talks about ten and twelve dimensions and how we can't possibly understand those. Mm-hmm. and you, it's think about trying to trying to view a three dimensional object and, and take it, and write it down in two dimensions. that's almost kind of like what he would have to do here. Yeah,
0: how do you do that? You,
2: you can't I mean you, he's doing the best he can and and trying to you're, you're funneling it down from a much more complex reality into this. And so sometimes i think that's where it kind of doesn't look linear because it isn't linear in the in the original form that it came in that information Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah okay
0: but we've got to kind of temper that thought. i think it's easy for us to go to you know we can't and i think of hal lindsay okay that hey how do you explain uh these locusts with you know scorpion tails or what have you and men's faces and stinging and how do you explain that well huh helicopters helicopters (laughs) i've sat in those you know in the apaches and all that kind of good thing and and so you can look at one of these and if you sit in the cockpit of one of them i mean you can almost go wow yeah i could see that you know that i could see how They're seeing something they've never seen before, and they're trying to explain what what that is. And yeah, you know, you got these missiles shooting out of what they think is a tail, you know, and you've got these 50 cal rounds that can go, you know, just those, those guns will put around every square inch the full width and length of a football field like that. I mean, just, you know, how do you explain that kind of stuff, right? So, so, but I think we can go overboard, too, because God wanted them to understand what was being sent to them. So now you've got to take that into account.
2: But you are limited by, by the verbiage that he had. So it's, it's like if somebody, if God showed you a color that you'd never seen, how do you describe that color? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, have, you don't have the words to describe something
0: you've yeah. never seen. But why would God care? And these are questions we got to ask ourselves. And we can't, you know, we can always appeal to the mystery of God and how can we know his ways are above ours. We all all accept that. So let's put that over here. We accept that. But if God is speaking to the people of that time for them to understand and he's warning them, then he's speaking in their, you know, why did he he choose that point in time to use their language and their culture and their understanding that we're 2,000 years removed from to tell us and warn us? Of something in our time or future to us doesn't make sense he was speaking to them in their language in their cultural context that they can understand he wasn't speaking of some future scientific thing that you know they would have no context for they would have no understanding of we can't forget that and we do you know we do a lot and so then that that, that causes us to force in you know to the text what we think they interpret what we think God must have meant that they couldn't understand because they couldn't know what we know today that's backwards in a lot of ways so you know once we can say okay God wants us to know he wants us to wrestle with this but it's clear we can't do that unless we go backwards we have to go backwards we have to understand it's really interesting that in our time, our ability to do that is significant and becoming even more significant as each day passes. You know, it's not a coincidence that now, in the last 10 years of the church, the whole supernatural has come back into play. (coughs) That, you know, trying to get us back to something we lost, that we veered away from as the church, that is a core component of scripture and understanding the bible i mean angels are real demons are weird or, or they're weird but they're <laughs> they're real and they're at play and we've been told the whole time you wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities you know and because we lost that we teach that, you know, Greek mythology is mythology. Well, is Greek mythology, mythology? Was my story. It, where did they get it from? You know, there was an entire world that existed before the flood that God at that time said, you know, this has gotten out of hand. And of course, it, it was much more severe than that. But even at the Tower of Babel, after the flood, they're building a tower, a ziggurat, right? And what does God say? Because they have one language, what can they do? Well, they, can do anything, right? they can do anything they set their minds to. This is God who said that about humans. Mm-hmm. Anything that they can dream up, that they set their minds to, they can do it. Wow. Think about that. We just about have now. We're not even close, but where are we, right, compared to them? And look how long it's taken us to get to where we can effectively, efficiently communicate, no matter what the language is, worldwide. And look what's happened. Is it just coincidental that when all of that starts happening, it took the good. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't speak really to one another and even begin to understand prior to the gutenberg press right it took just very few individuals who might be travelers who could understand language because they were there and they were around you know they were they were germans around the french or whatever right and then even they had no clue that there's entire civilizations and cultures on the other side of the planet had no idea so, I mean, just think about that progression. And, and now today, we're getting so close to just automatic interpretation, everybody's speaking the same language, and what's happening to technology? What's happening to the dreams and the visions that men have in their heads? It happens very quickly. Happens very quickly. And, and, and God said, we've got to put an end to that back then. But God knew what he was doing, right? So here we are. Well, you know, the futurists, so this, this significance, we've got to be thinking about this, that we've got to turn this stuff over in our heads, and we've got to be praying about it. So the futurists, what they say is, look, this fire, because we have a fiery mountain, we have a fiery star, we have, you know, just the world set on fire, and we've seen that this all goes back to what we saw earlier, where, where what's the priestly angel do when he goes and he... Fills the censer with the coals of fire from the altar and casts them upon the earth. So, is that parallel? Is this the same event that started at that point? I mean, he cast the whole censer on the earth, didn't he? He didn't go, oop. Let's wait till that you know coal does its thing. Now we'll grab another one. We'll wait till that coal does its thing. He emptied the bowl. He emptied the whole thing. He cast the entire censer on the earth. So you could almost say, okay, futurist, you agree with this, but then why is it all, if you cast the whole thing at one time, why are you systematically one event after the other? So there's a logic thing going on when you kind of think about that, right? Seem like, man, these things are happening all at once. So, but most see these as literal cosmic events. So how do they look at the stars, for example? Well, I put a few quotes from them. There's heavenly body or mass from outer space. I mean, this is literal, right? So there's this mass from outer space, it's burning as it enters the Earth's atmosphere. And as it hits, it contaminates the waters. Now just think about that for a second. Well, why isn't it just contaminating everything? What about the earth? Isn't it burning up trees and and you know destroying land and hitting in the ocean? How is how's this how's this meteor or this Mass only going to fresh water sources. How's that happening? So you immediately have to begin to kind of extrapolate out, don't you? Because you know logically, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Because if something this massive comes in based off the descriptions, well, it's going to hit all kinds of things. So now we start plugging gaps, and we start filling in with information that we can think of. So it's a meteor falling to earth. Contaminating the water sources, and they all. And I kind of put this fresh water sources contaminating underlined for two reasons. One, they all say the same thing. They're focused because the scripture says, mm-hmm. "What's the scripture say? What's it, cont- you know? What's it making bitter? Rivers the and springs, springs water. of water. Rivers and springs of water. Nothing else, just rivers and springs of water. And the uh, springs of water come from an underground. Source. Yeah. So how'd that happen, right? Just happen to hit all the springs throughout the planet in the right spot so that when the water comes out, what's it do?
1: It's
0: it, it goes through whatever it is that came out of outer space. and I mean, do you see kind of a logical problem that starts to emerge? And so we have to start filling in the gas. A comet, so now we're bigger than a meteor. We're now, we're now in a comet. A comet-like object breaks apart, falls upon the Earth's fresh water sources. And that's how the water is contaminated. So this is what literalism, if you go to the extreme, you've you've got to do this. Now, is it possible, can anybody in here say that that can't happen? We can't, can we? Improbable, but not impossible. Yeah, yes. exactly. We can say improbable. If I'm being super literal, then I have to say it's only the fresh water sources, the springs and the rivers. So at some point either it's going to break and I've got to quit being so literal, you know, or I'm going to run into some problems. So, classic. This is how Lindsey. Okay, <laughs> radiation from ongoing thermonuclear exchanges. That the radiate, but what is radiation going to do?
2: It doesn't. It wouldn't penetrate the ground, and why would it not affect the ocean?
0: Right, and it affects everything, doesn't it? I mean, radiation affects everything. So you know, Scripture's not saying, "Oh, you're in a thermonuclear war, and only the radiation at this point in time is going to affect just the fresh water sources, (laughs) etc., (laughs) etc." You know, that doesn't make sense. Okay, and I'm only doing this because we have to think about what people are telling us. We can't just go, "Wow, that's a great story, man. That book really got me hyped up." You know, and I'll watch some of these, and right smack in the middle, it's, and for 35 you know, 99 you get these three books valued at the amazing $150. And that's not all. And that's not all. <laughs> Wait, there's more. <laughs> Wait, there's more. And I love Tom Horn, man. I really do. He does a great job in some things. With, but that's what they do. Right smack in the middle. Wait, and there's more. And they all do that. They've got some package they're going to sell you. What should that tell us? I mean, on the one hand, we need to get information out, don't we? I mean, we do need to do that. And that stuff costs money. So, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But this stuff sells. This sells a bu- I mean, this stuff sells. And, and we can't ignore that. we got to think about that. You know, some, some scholar's book that thick that's going through history. Who wants to buy that? Right? Charles. I do. Okay. I want that. Yeah. Ginger does. She wants it. Right? But the, the majority of people, they don't want that. I mean, what's exciting about that? Right? But you know what? There's something else that we need to think about. And we'll talk about it when we take this side trip a little bit more. If this is the case, what that's really caused a lot of people in the church to say, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket anyway. There's nothing that we can do to change it. And they become pessimists. Always looking, and I've fallen in that, you know, when I was into futurism and all that, I fell into that trap. Man, this is when, and it almost seems like you start rooting for, come on, God, bring it. Just get
2: it over with Get it
0: over. I can't wait for this world to get judged. Bring the wrath of God, you sinner, and I'm going to watch it happen.
1: And don't do it to me. <laughs> yeah.
2: What, does that sound like what Scripture says we're supposed to be doing as believers? You don't find those same people not eating and, you know, doing all the things that make you live longer. I mean, they, they, yeah. might, they might say that in a the world they do, but they're not living that in their own life. If you're in such a hurry to move on, yeah, one Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you can do that, you know, whenever. That's bad. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah,
0: but there is kind of this overwhelming sense of, man, this is exciting. I want to see this happen. God, come, Lord Jesus. You know, we're supposed to be looking forward to the coming of the king, not for the purpose of his wrath and judgment, you know, kicking the world's butt, and we get to watch it. That's not why. Right. Yeah, I think with the exception of Jonah, maybe
1: most godly men would pray, you know, Lord, uh, you know,
0: delay this, uh, you know. Like, exactly.
2: What if we can.
0: What did Abraham do? Yeah, he
2: said, what if there are, you know, 40 righteous people? Exactly.
0: Exactly. Interceding for them, Mm -hmm. trying to, no, God, please, not yet. But that's not what happens with this stuff. This is like this adrenaline junkie. This is exciting. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for the next sign that it's about to take place. You know, uh, and I'm going to throw up a, a website to help Christians prep. And I've got everything you need. So I'll sell it to you, right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we do, and and I'm not against prepping. <laughs> it's okay. You can do a little bit of that. Just be balanced about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if any of you come and say, "Hey, man, I'm building this bunker and all that," I might say, "Look, let's you know, slow your roll." Can, a can bit. I have a key? Yeah. Tell me where <laughs> Alright, but some futurists, now because of these things, some futurists they break ranks. They say, hold on a second, there's some issues here. This is clearly symbolic. And and not just any futurists or dispensate, some very serious ones. Gabaline, Ironside, you know. They break ranks and they say, no, that's not what's happening here. Okay. What's going on is the stars, the sun, the moon, these, these cosmic events. These apply to religio-political to the religio, and I put it in quotes, is that how they put it? religio-political realm. In other words, government and big religion. Okay, and why is that? Well, because stars and prophetic religious uh, texts a lot of times are interpreted as religious dignitaries. Now they'll say religious dignitaries because we've already seen, right? We've read the word Elohim in our supernatural class that Elohim is it's a it's a function. It's a it's a it's not a function. It's God is an Elohim, right? He's a spirit. He's a disembodied spirit. He doesn't have a body. Angels are Elohim. Demons are Elohim. Elohim in the Old Testament. So Elohim is not a name of God. It's a what God is. Okay, He's an Elohim. God is an Elohim, but not all Elohim are God. Okay, And all Elohim are created. God's the only God. But then you have little G's, and that's where Greek mythology and all of the deities of the different cultures, those things are real. Their pantheons are real. But these are all created spiritual beings that God created. And we see that story. So, we call it a religious dignitary because sometimes in the New Testament, the word angel in Greek means messenger, right? And we, as, a, as, as believers, can be a messenger. God can tell Frank, you know, go over here and speak to that person. You're a messenger sent from God. Okay? But that's not its majority usage in the Greek in the New Testament. It deals with a spiritual being. All right, we've got just a couple more minutes. So the reason I bring this up is because here is really where they build even more on what started coming out in, you know, 1600, 1700. The Pope is this significant religious authority because it's a religious dignitary, and this one, this is a great says, great star that's on fire is falling into the fresh waters, right? Well, the Pope is this great star. Because when you immediately think of religion and government partnerships, who do you think of? Okay. The, Catholic <laughs> the Catholic Church. There's nobody bigger, mm-hmm. right? How many, how many people does the Catholic Church influence? <laughs> Billions. Yeah, like 1.2 billion or something like that. And and he is the vicar of Christ. I mean, the Pope is the man in the entire Catholic Church, right? So they immediately go and say, this is who this is talking about. Then wormwood, the idea of the word wormwood, this is a real plant, right? I mean, this is an herb or a plant that has a very bitter extract that comes out of it and it can be poisonous if you ingest too much of it and it it's bitter and man it's nasty stuff well they say this this stands for corruption somebody let's read a couple of verses somebody go grab deuteronomy 29 verse 17 through 19 do i have a taker we can do this in five minutes Shannon, you got that somebody grab jeremiah 9 13 through 16 frank Somebody grab Jeremiah 23, verse 15. Anybody? I got it. All right. So wormwood, uh, this is a real plant, right? Mm-hmm. So is this a meteor coming from outer space that's got all kinds of this plant on it? No, can't get that literal, can we? Uh, Deuteronomy 29, verse 17 through 19. Moreover, you have seen their abomination. Abominations <laughs> And their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they had with them, so that there will not be among you a man or woman or
2: family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations, that there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. It shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast,
0: saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. Wow, a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood, right? So, Jeremiah 9, verse 13 through 16, Frank.
1: The Lord said, it is because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, they have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed the stubbornness of their hearts, they have followed the Baals, as their fathers taught them. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. See, I will make this people eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. I will scatter them among the nations that neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will pursue them with the sword until I have destroyed them.
0: Wow. And that word, by the way, therefore for bitter and poisonous water, is wormwood. Uh, Jeremiah 23:15:
1: Therefore, this is what the Lord of hosts says concerning the prophets. I'm about to feed them wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. Well, all right,
0: what do we So we've gone to the Old Testament, we see where wormwood and this bitter, poisonous waters comes from, and who's it directed to? It's directed to the Israelites who have followed. They've disobeyed God. They've followed after idols and worshipped the Baals. And God, over and over, is telling them, repent, stop, and they won't. So he's going to feed them poisonous water, bitterness, corruption, evil. What about the prophets? What were these prophets doing?
2: They were lying and saying peace was coming. They
0: were lying. They were speaking words to the Israelites that God didn't give them. And what's he going to bring? Bitterness, poison, crap that destroys them. How should we view Wormwood in Revelation? As a symbol. It's symbolic. We have the same imagery being told to us that we just read in the Old Testament. So because of that, that's why Gabalene, Ironside, and them say, wait a minute. And, and this gets into idealism. This is, this is corruption. And, and in, the, in the church, which is why they look to the Pope and they look to Catholicism, and this whole thing starts to get built because who's the great whore, right, Yeah, that we're, that we're going to see? There's this religious system that rises up with the beast. And it corrupts those who aren't willing to hear the good news and accept it. And that's one-third of mankind is corrupted. And they say, church, because fresh water. What is the sort, man, when when Moses hit the rock at Horeb, what came out? Water. Water. Jesus said he's the living water. And we're, and we're to be going out into the world as sources, bringing that living water to mankind, but yet somehow it's gotten corrupted. This is where this stuff begins to get developed in, in futurism. And the diminishing light, if you go literal, the 24-hour day-night cycle is going to get cut down to 16 hours. Or if you go symbolic, it's the spiritual light that's being diminished in the world.
2: Okay? Okay. Truth of the Bible is being watered down. Truth of
0: the Bible is being watered down. And we can all look at that right now and say what? Man, that's true. The only thing is you can go back to every generation and it was true for them too and and on-fire believers were talking about it and writing about it then, okay? So, so the whole outcome in futurism is this is the mystery Babylon that we've talked about, right? The revived Roman Empire is rising up. And now God's judgment is coming against the authorities of this revived Roman Empire and causing moral darkness to, to just, you know, increase in the land. And, and after all, as in the days of Noah, right, what will the, the end be? And you're hearing this a lot. Everybody's pointing, oh, what did that mean? As in the days of Noah, so it's going to be here. God destroyed the planet with a flood because evil was so rampant that every man's mind was continually upon evil. And you get this nice bow. Ties it all up, right? So, Lord, we just thank you, Father, for who you are. We just pray that as we think through uh, these things, that, Lord, you speak to us, that we just dig into your word and we lift it up to you in prayer, seeking out your spirit to guide and minister to us, to lead us into the truth. Because, Lord, if we have the wrong ideas, it can lead us in the wrong direction. And we see that so often uh, in our own lives and in the lives of your children in the church. and. And Lord, we just pray that you forgive us for that and that you help us to understand. We know it's not easy. We know that uh, we've got to just come humbly before you and seek you out in prayer. And and Lord, that you are going to teach us. You are going to reveal to us. And we praise you for that. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.